we stand here, God, today because only because of you, only because we have been redeemed, and now we walk in that. Not our own doing, but your doing, your righteousness. We stand in it, and we walk with confidence, God. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for our hearts that are open and ready to hear your word, and then ready to take steps out of here in obedience to what you have called each of us to do this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may take your seats for just a moment. Kiddos, you can keep standing and go back to... uh, 214 kids. It's going to be an awesome day back there. Awesome. I just have a few announcements while the kids are headed back there. Speaking of kids, we would, if you call this place home, we would love it for you to step up and serve in kids. Just once a month is all we're asking. Uh, if that's if God's putting that in your heart, please go see Taylor uh, after the service this morning and let her know that you're willing to do that just once a month. And that would greatly bless those kids. It's an awesome time back there. It's amazing what God is doing in and through them, the next generation of Jesus worshipers, Jesus lovers. Hey, we've also, if you're new here, make sure we've got a card back by the offering box there. Make sure to sign up on that. Um, Put your name and email address down there, and then we'll make sure to get in contact with you with what's going on at 214. Also, make sure to plug into our Twitter feed and Instagram if you're not already on that. That way you can stay connected and know what's going on. Um, We've got a couple events coming up next month. Our IF table for women. It's a dinner that our women get together once a month in different homes, and it's just an awesome time of sharing and pressing into God and and, uh, just community. And we have the same thing for men. It's called War Breakfast. Um, Hoorah. So Tuesday, (laughs) we got one. Thank you, Paul. Tuesday, October 13th, 6.30 a.m., Bob Evans, East Peoria. We'll have some sign-up sheets next week for the War Breakfast. And then um, Tuesday, the next week, October 20th, for the IF tables. So we'll have the sign-up sheets next week. Just make a mental note of that uh, or put that in your calendars to reserve that morning and, or that night. So, hey, I am so excited this morning to introduce our speaker, our teacher. This man and his family are awesome, and uh, he's a great teacher of God, and I think he's got a great word for us this morning. I think he's got some insight that you've maybe never heard before that God wants to drop into your spirit. So give a warm welcome to my friend Mike Crowey. All right, thank you. Good morning. Hey, Chris, that was me. That wasn't Paul. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Meek Mike. Yes. All right, I, uh, where do I go from this? The segue. What a worship. I, uh, I hope you're as open for worship and praise as I am right now. This is going to be cool. I want to take just a second, and uh, I was going to pause for a minute just to thank, to praise God for my wife. She's awesome. Uh, He's blessed me with her, and I was going to mention it because of uh, just helping with the message and, and ideas and research and encouragement, but that's just with this message. Uh, she works with me, blesses me in every other part of my life, and I couldn't do half of what I do that I'm involved with without her, so please give her a hand, but praise God for that. Uh, that's a huge foundation for doing anything else. The family has to be right. So, well, We're in this series, Blessed Are... And, uh, and in this Beatitude series in Matthew 5. And uh, I'm going to do, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. 
But uh, just to go back and review a, a little bit, in the message, um, the, the way this happened, Jesus is up on this mountain, so we've titled it Base Camp. And then Base Camp is, is usually your foundational start for where you go up the summit, where you, you go on. So Chris started us off, and in his message, he, put, he, he said we must put Jesus at the center of the universe. We must lower ourselves before we can begin to ascend or climb, so we're going to be uh, poor in spirit. And then Heidi kick, came in the second week. I'm sorry, let me back up. He also mentioned in there, and Heidi did too, that it's been mentioned these similarities between Proverbs and the Beatitudes, these, these, uh, this Matthew 5 series. The comparison, the contrasting of ideas, uh, as well as the main principles, they reinforce each other. And, and Heidi said it, but it's almost like the Holy Spirit's been leading us as a teaching team, and it's really, really fun to be a part of that. So when I look at the blessed are the poor in spirit, the proverb that kind of comes to me in, in that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven is that Matthew 5, or Proverbs 1, 7. So we, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that attitude that I can't do this by myself, I need God. So we, we lower ourselves. And then that Matthew 5, 4, those who uh, mourn will be comforted. In Proverbs 21, verse 13, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out but not be answered. So we have to go through this time where we experience this mourning too. We can't just say it. We, in order to be comforted, we need to mourn. Now, Heidi spoke of the mourning that comes with physical loss, and we've all experienced it, some more than others. But we are comforted when we come to Jesus. And then there's this mourning that comes when we truly recognize the impact of our sin in our lives. That sin separates us from God. And it's not just temporal, it's eternal separation. So when we understand that, the comfort that comes from Jesus having paid that price for us is amazing. That, that's a huge blessing, that comfort. And I say these because that sets us up to be meek. Um, I want to read this verse in Isaiah, where Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God in chapter 43, verse 25. He said, I, I am he who blots out your sins for my own sake, because he wants that relationship with us. I will not number your. I will never remember your sins again. There's a comfort in him saying that. That's God saying that to us. Okay, now we're ready for meek. So we come to meek, and the meek will inherit the earth. I liken it to in Proverbs where we talked about the pride versus humility. In Proverbs thirty-three verse thirty-four, it says, "He mocks the mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed." So when we studied Proverbs, we noted the principle of humility versus pride in this perspective from God's point of view, the, the way that he designed it. And now in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching where humility needs to be developed in our lives as Christians. You see, meekness is more about the application of humility in our actions. And I'll continue to develop that. Proverbs 1, verse 33 but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without harm. I'm going to talk a lot about this being at peace, at ease, at rest throughout this message, and I want you to pick up on that. This meekness lends itself to rest. 
Proverbs 3, verses 1 and 2, in my Bible, the heading there says, Wisdom bestows well-being. There's this whole attitude of being well when we're meek, when we're poor in spirit, when we care about other people and we put God first. He says, My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life with many years and bring you peace and prosperity. And then one more verse, Psalm 3711. It's almost exactly the same as verse uh, 5 in, in Matthew. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. So there's this progression from our salvation our, in our life with Christ and giving our life to Christ, this base camp, and to climb or to grow, to understand and to, to develop our relationship with Christ and then with others. So I like the relationship with Christ and then our relationship with others. That's the cross. So we become caring and we mourn and we're comforted and then we're meek and we inherit the world, etc. It's going to go on in this series. So what does meekness look like? What's its purpose? How does it fit in this base camp series? Meekness is often misunderstood as weak as soft or mild-mannered, or possibly even cowardly. But let me explain how it is not. Okay, the other day, I know this is going to be hard to believe, but I got mad. (laughs) And I don't mean I just raised my voice and gave some direction. I was furious. Um, Is there anybody who has children? (laughs) Anybody ever coached a sport of children or taught a class? You're going to get this. Okay. I was coaching the eighth grade uh, tackle football team, and we're working on tackling drills. I had had them run through almost all the drills I could come up with, and we had reviewed the proper technique as well as the correct approach and the execution, all with this mindset of being safe. And that's key. Well, I decided to let the boys play a game. And... uh, And this game incorporates tackling, but I gave them some specific directions, and I changed the rules a little bit in order to force or encourage them to make a good tackle, a proper tackle, a safe tackle. Well, over the course of about 10 or 15 minutes, they they became lackadaisical in their attitudes and their technique, and then it happened. One of the boys grabbed a helmet, which is a serious no-no. There are huge penalties for that, plus it it can cause damage. So he he grabbed the helmet, and he pulled it backwards. He pulled the other boy backwards, and I was instantly furious. And that was the time you're just on fire because you know what's wrong, but you care, and you want to correct it. Well, I changed their attitude, and I I changed their focus. I got their attention. Um, (laughs) But it was for their safety, And and I don't want you to lose sight of that. We have to have a higher purpose. I had, I had mentioned that in my message on, on wisdom, this magnanimity, doing things for a higher purpose. And because that boy that got hurt was Tucker, <laughs> um, I was stepping out of my role as a father to protect him. So these are actions that are done in our roles in life. That's the work of the circumstances that God has prepared for us in advance for us to perform them, to show, to exemplify these, these attributes. Okay, let's look at a definition of meekness. Uh, this is an, uh, a definition from Aristotle. Um, a meek person is neither too hasty-tempered 
nor too slow-tempered. Meekness doesn't get angry with people it ought not to get angry with, nor does it fail to get angry with people it ought to get angry with. The man who is meek is the man who feels anger on the right grounds, against the right person, in the right manner, at the right moment, for the right length of time. That's tough to do. At all times he will err on the side of forgiveness. Jesus was meek. He was meek many times. In fact, he was probably meek all the time, just the right amount. But on the cross, I want you to think about that. Jesus comes to us as God in man form. So he can feel all the pain. He has all these same pressures we have. But he has all the power. He's omnipotent. And he withholds it. It's under control for a better purpose, for our salvation. He withhold the, withheld the power for us. It's the greatest example of meekness. So this is meekness, power under control for a higher purpose, or power under God's control, or under the control of the Holy Spirit, so being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus gave us this message in Matthew uh, about these attitudes, and he explains it, that we'll inherit the earth, but in Matthew 11, he goes on a little bit further, and I'm going to read this passage. I think we have that one. Yes, sorry. All things have been committed to to me by my Father. So I think that's a great example of him saying, I have all the power right there. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. I want to highlight that because that's an important doctrine about relationships. There's Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit have always been there, and they're in relationship with each other, but they created us to be in relationship with them. So he's searching, he's desiring of us to come to him and be this relation. So now the key. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want you to hear soul rest out of there. When we take a sailor, it's for a soul rest. It's not for a not working, it's for a soul rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus relieves burdens. It's not the end of labor, but it changes meaningless, wearisome toil into a spiritual productivity and a purpose, with a purpose. It's wonderful. It's peaceful. So what are our burdens? What can we take to Jesus? How do we live this life of humility and action? Okay, I was instructed to slow down here because this can get a little bit deep, and it's good. Uh, if you're familiar with A.W. Tozer, he's, he's written a lot. He's a wonderful minister, but he, he wrote this pursuit of God, and it's, it's so good you just have to reread it and reread it and reread it. But chapter 9 is titled Meekness and Rest, and I'm going to read a few sections from there, but they're, blessed, they're based on this section, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the world of men, we find nothing approaching the virtues of which Jesus spoke in the opening words of his famous Sermon on the Mount. Instead of poverty of spirit, we find the rankest kind of pride. Instead of mourners, we find pleasure seekers. Instead of meekness, we find arrogance. All of our heartaches and a great many of our physical ills spring directly out of our sins. 
pride, arrogance, resentfulness, evil imaginings, malice, greed. These are the sources of more human pain than all the diseases that have ever afflicted mortal flesh. Into a world like this, the sound of Jesus' words comes this wonderful and strange visitation from above, if you will. He's, he's saying, come to me and I will leave this burden for you. Here we have two things standing in contrast to each other, a burden and a rest. And this burden is not a local one peculiar to those first listeners, but one that's borne by the whole human race. It consists not of political oppression or poverty or hard work. It's deeper than that. It's felt by the rich as well as the poor, for it's something which wealth and idleness can never deliver us. This burden borne by mankind is heavy and it's crushing. The word Jesus used means a load carried or a toil borne to the point of exhaustion. It wears you out. You can't get away from it. The rest is simply release from that burden. It's, it's not something we do. It's what comes to us when we cease to do. His own meekness, that's the rest. Okay, and he goes on to say, first there's the burden of pride, this labor of self-love. And it's a heavy one indeed. And, and Phil did a good job when he gave his message on there's the pride of thinking that we're great, but then there's also the putting us, uh, this false pretense of putting uh, us at the center of attention by, by saying how bad we are, how, how poor we've got it. You know, we're, we're the center of attention at that point. The heart's fierce effort to protect itself from every slight, to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinion of friend and enemy. It will never let the mind have rest. We've got to give that up. Such a burden as this is not necessary to bear, but Jesus calls us to his rest and meekness in his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he is, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. He goes on to say, the meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But as he stopped, he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he's as weak and helpless as God has declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God more of more importance than the angels. Think about that. I mentioned earlier, God created us to be in relationship with him. He created the angels lower than us in a level of authority. They, they are there to help, to serve him and us. If you write anything down, this is what I want you to write right here. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That's the meek man's motto. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. It's like the stepping off point where we realize who we are and what we're worth, and then we take on God and his presence, and we can do all that he has set for us to do. Okay, so in the meantime, he will have attained a place of soul rest. As he walks on in his own meekness, he will be happy to let God defend him. The old strug struggle to defend himself is over. 
He's found the peace which meekness brings. Then also we get deliverance from the burden of pretense, this false sense of shame. And another source of burden is our artificiality. This unnatural condition is part of our sad heritage of sin, but in our day it's aggravated by uh, the, our whole way of life. Advertising is largely based on this habit of pretense or artificiality. Artificiality is one curse that will drop away the moment that we kneel at Jesus' feet and surrender ourselves to his meekness. Then we will not care what people think of us so long as God is pleased. Then, we will, then what we are will be everything and what we appear will take its place far down the scale of interest for us. Apart from sin, we have nothing of which to be ashamed. Let that sink in. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. Our family situation, the way we dress, our financial situation, where we live, apart from sin, the sin that separates us from God, that's the only thing we need to be ashamed of. So take that to Jesus. Only an evil desire to shine makes us appear other than we are. The heart of the world is breaking under this load of pride and pretense. There is no release from our burden apart from the meekness of Christ. So I'll go on here. To men and women everywhere, Jesus says, Come to me and I will give you rest. The rest he offers is the rest of meekness, the blessed relief which comes when we accept ourselves of for what we are, and cease to pretend. It will take some courage at first, but the needed grace will come as we learn that we are sharing this new and easy yoke with the strong Son of God himself. He has all the power, and he's sharing it with us. He's on one side, we're on the other. He's right there with us. Okay, I mentioned earlier that Jesus exemplified meekness in that he exercised this ultimate power over control. Under control, I'm sorry. I want to give a little bit of history, maybe give you another example of somebody being meek. Um, I read this book, and I've read it several times, and I just love the title. It's called Mansfield's Book of Men, Manly Men. And for all you guys out there, it's a great book. It goes through a lot of uh, integrity and quality issues, and it's just very encouraging. It's a fun book to read. But in there, there was, a, there was a story that I pulled out, and it goes like this. Few men have modeled the deeds of humility quite like the man in the story I'm about to tell you. During the first decade of the last century, an older woman decided to sit for a moment in the lobby of an elegant Des Moines hotel. She was weary and she was parched, and she turned to the slender, well-dressed black man who was standing nearby and asked him to fetch a glass of water for her. Ah, that's good. So the man immediately went to the front desk of the hotel and he returned with the water, handing it to the woman. He asked, ma'am, is there anything else I can get for you? The woman said there wasn't, and the man walked off. I know this doesn't sound like an important story, but what I haven't told you is that this man was at that time the most famous black man in the world. He was president of a prestigious institute. He had once dined with the president of the United States. 
He was an advisor to kings and prime ministers, and he was internationally renowned author. Yet when a tired woman mistook him for a waiter because of the color of his skin, he took no offense. He did what she asked, and then he offered to do more. It was an extraordinarily humble act, but it was typical of this man. Does anybody know who it was? Close. It was Booker T. Washington. And the humility that he displayed that day was just his brand of humility. He took that on. He urged people. He urged this nation to do that. Do you see, he was meek on a daily basis. It didn't look like a big thing, but every day he was meek. He, he knew who he was, but he wasn't proud of all of his successes. He gave credit to God for that. And he, he encouraged other people to do this also. Put your hope, your trust, and your effort into God's promises. I have another example of power under control, sort of. And I have a teaching aid. You guys didn't see this coming, did you? <laughs> All right. Well, things have changed, and I am not a farmer, but this is similar, very similar to a tool that is mentioned in Judges chapter 3. And there's a guy named Shamgar, and I'm just going to read you these couple verses. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. So what's an ox goad? Well, an ox goad is just that. It's usually a blunt end, maybe a little bit longer than this, used to goad the oxen along while you're plowing your field. And then when you get to the other end, you use the flat metal piece to clean off your plow or anything that sticks to the plow. So it's a very practical tool. Well, in the time of Shamgar, where the, the, between the judges, there was a lot of disorder. They weren't following God. And you think, why is this passage in the Bible? What inspired, why did God inspire this to be written? He killed 600 Philistines with one of these. I don't know how long it took. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we go over to, uh, to Deborah's song in Judges 5, and it gives us a little more insight, starting in verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to their winding, took to winding paths. And then in verse 7, the beginning, it said, Villagers in Israel would not fight. It, when I talk about meekness, it's not backing down. It's doing what's right. And that may mean fighting. That may mean standing up for what you are what your existence is and in this time the villagers couldn't go to market they couldn't move their cattle because the philistines had taken over and bandits were allowed to just overrun the place so shamgar took charge but the reason i want to mention it it wasn't it was meek because he didn't do it for power he didn't do it to become the leader of the judge he did it because it was the right thing to do at the right time that's another example of meekness all right Moses is often cited as meek, but I want to take you through that really quick history and, and hit a highlights. The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, this trip should have probably taken one person three days, maybe a group that size, two million people a month. And if you give them credit for um, observing ceremonies and, and taking time to worship, maybe three months. So why did it take them 40 years? It took them 40 years because they didn't obey. They were in God's presence, 
and they had pride and they had doubt and they didn't obey. They were full of disobedience. So they wandered for 40 years. Now you think about that. God had promised them this land. Why would they have any reason to doubt? Why would they have reason to disobey? They've just come off of all these miracles. I mean, it takes weeks to preach through all the miracles that they just experienced. And this generation was not allowed to go in. That's why it took 40 years. So they were not trusting in the promises of God. And I'm going to fast forward then to Joshua. Joshua 21, verses 43 and 44. So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give their ancestors. This is the next generation, but it's Israel. And he took the possession, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest. Do you hear it? Rest on every side. Just as he had sworn to their ancestors, not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. And we have that too. The reason I read this passage is to highlight that on this journey, our goal is to live in the presence of God. We must maintain this poor in spirit, humility, and, and be empowered by the comfort that comes to us of knowing that God paid for our sins that, he's, that had previously separated us from, from him. And then to go out in this meekness, this power under the control of the Holy Spirit. We're as bold as lions for God, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Okay, we are bold. Okay, I have a quiz for you. Are there more sheep in the world or more wolves in the world? Yes, there's more sheep. Why? Because of the shepherd. So let's just trust him. Let him take care of us. We do what we need to do, and let's go out and be meek. Now, I read this devotion, and I'm going to give Max Lucado credit for it, but it really is mine. No, it, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It, really <laughs> it does a good job of summarizing this point, where we are, where the Israelites were. Okay, nearly 9 out of 10 believers say they're saved, yes, but empowered, no. Like the children of Israel, they're out of Egypt, but not yet possessing the promised land. That's about 2 billion people who call themselves Christians, chugging along on a fraction of their horsepower. What would happen if they got a tune-up? How would the world be different if 2 billion people came out of the wilderness? How many marriages would be saved? How many wars would be prevented if every Christian began to live that promised land life? How would the world be different? With God's help, you can close that gap between the person you are and the person you want to be, indeed the person God created you to be. The Bible says you can live from glory, so base camp, when you give your heart to Jesus, to glory throughout you need to just possess this land. Do it. As I wrap up this message, I want to urge you to see this journey of growth, transformation, and ascendance with the leading of the Holy Spirit in relationship in our lives. As we grow in our relationship with Christ and trust in the promises of God, we obtain a sober judgment and a boldness in our actions. At the same time, we throw off the pride, the pretense, which will lead us into relationships with people that are more real. We've got to get rid of all that first before we can have a real relationship with people. 
We will engage people in life, develop deeper friendships, and experience the soul rest. Until the return of Christ and this new earth. And how is that for an inheritance? But we don't have to wait for that inheritance. It's an inheritance that we can have right now. We don't have to die. He's already paid for it. He's given it to us. It's offered. This soul rest is ours when we trust Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, it is overwhelming to study your word. And we just come to you now. We're open. We, we love to worship you, and we love to read your word. We ask you to help us right now to give everything over to you, our pride, our pretense, our artificiality. Help us to see only your word. Help us to see the work that you have for us and have a boldness to step forward in, in meekness for you, led by the Holy Spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.